Hello, this is Margot McCallum. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 4 of Narcissistic Sociopath. Antidotes for Reactive Abuse. A few simple fixes for turning isolation, being blamed, and lack of support into a positive. Being highly reactive is a common trauma symptom. So now we're more likely than ever to blurt out something we'll later regret. We have an opportunity, a pressing need, to learn and practice non-reactivity more than ever before. Case studies are filled with instances of women being accused of being the abusive one because they responded to the first hidden punch thrown by the narcopath, either real or figurative. It's natural to want to defend ourselves by throwing a punch back. This is known as reactive abuse and it has been the cause of many women losing settlement disputes, custody battles, and allies. It's another clever manipulative tactic used by covertly abusive narcopaths. For an other referencing person, learning to prioritize our own healing and recovery can be a daunting prospect, something we possibly don't know how to do because we learnt to overlook it. We learnt to please other people, to automatically forgive the things we didn't like in others in the pursuit of having them like or love us. Whilst we all have some friends who share our values and virtues, we also attract friends who somehow suck all the energy out of us. People to whom we give and get very little in return. People who bask in our vibrancy or our generosity, but are quick to blame, judge and criticize, or mock and humiliate when they don't get what they want out of the relationship. And we all have friends and family we may not even like very much who are just around because. We habitually put our own health and well-being last on our list. And for a long period, during our devaluation by a narcopath, we were last on the list for our intimate other as well. That's some rut we got stuck in, some bad habits we got into. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can recognize these people in your own life. These are not the kind of people we want around when we're traumatized. And we start pushing people away we can compound our own trauma and shame by doing this in a very unskillful way. By telling people to fuck off and leave me alone. If someone keeps approaching us to kindly help us by telling us what they think is wrong and why they think we should blame ourselves or get over it, how do we tell that person we'd rather not have that kind of help, thank you? Learning to receive criticism fair or unfair, and blame, reasonable or unreasonable, is a mature skill that eludes a lot of people. Not throwing the second punch out of anger is a response that requires patience and wisdom. Not retaliating with harsh speech that escalates the situation is a life skill that can be practiced and developed. 
learning to say thank you for your opinion instead of fuck off, to say you might be right instead of defensively improvising all the reasons they're wrong or aggressively attacking the messenger. Learning to detach from harmful, hurtful speech and actions of others. To intercept our own habitual reaction and respond differently. These are grown-up skills. The Buddhist approach is very simple and not unlike what your primary school teacher or your grandparents might have taught you or tried to teach you. It's the very first moment that's the hardest bit. That is, catching ourselves the moment we're hooked, the moment the righteous indignation at wrongful blame or the anger at criticism or the humiliation of unkind gossip arises in our being. Catching that moment when we suddenly feel a verbal or physical response to unwanted stimuli is necessary. Catching the need to retaliate with reactive abuse. Step one, pause. That is, take a breath, stop, breathe. Count to ten, as your granny used to say, if you had that kind of granny. This skill is essential. Without this pause, this momentary do-nothing, we have no room to intercept our habitual reaction and change our habitual response. From there, in terms of speech, there's a simple teaching. Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Step two, say nothing. In short, learning to say nothing at all is do no harm 101. Learning not to open our mouth and scream, you done me wrong. The feeling of needing to do it doesn't go away. We're stuck with that feeling for a while until it passes. Until the anger or the righteous indignation stop flooding our system on top of the trauma that is already drowning us. But by saying nothing, by doing nothing, by refraining, abstaining, declining, waiting, pausing, being still, keeping stumm, instead of acting out from our hurt, we throw water on the fire. We don't make things worse than they already are. Step three, write it down. Then, if the habit to express your opinion is so great, or the habit to have the final say, then writing it all out of your system is a commonly recommended antidote. Just not on Facebook, and not in an accusing, angry letter or email that you hastily post. Wait. Pause. Contain yourself again, for a longer period this time. For a couple of days, longer. Rewrite it over and again. Start a journal, that's another common antidote. Tell your shrink, tell your best friend, but don't tell just anyone. Most people, including your friends and family, don't want to know. And the I told you so kind of people only make you more infuriated. Shrinks call telling your story to just anyone, clienting. It's surprising how badly we want to tell people how cruelly we've been treated when we're traumatized. 
how much we need to be heard. But most people don't want to know. Step four, keep yourself safe. Some friends get it. Some people will be kind enough to let you open up, express your jumbled emotions, tell your ugly story of cruelty and abuse, share their own story with you. Some people like to connect at a very base human level. These are the people you want around you when you're traumatized. One day, you can return the favor. No need for guilt or shame, just discernment. Start sorting through the safe and unsafe people in your life. You need all the safety you can get when your life has been undermined by a narcissistic sociopath. Step five, trust your instincts. But it's not just the judges, criticizers and blamers that might create a toxic environment for your own recovery from psychopathic abuse. A curious and self-compassionate reflection on the trauma of betrayal and duplicity will assist you in identifying other people who make you feel unsafe. Your own instinct will tell you. Learning to trust your instincts is another positive skill to take away from this shocking experience. Detoxify. Think of someone on a diet. Most of us understand if a dieter avoids people, places and things that will tempt them. We get that. We get that if a friend on a diet changes their behavior and we don't see that much of them for a while, it's okay. We get it without really having to examine if we are the unhelpful influence. The person who's pushy about just one drink or a piece of cake won't hurt or one day without exercise isn't going to make any difference. Excising toxic people from our lives is a lot like dieting. The big difference is that the friends we avoid don't get it and don't like it because it forces them to admit the reasons you find them toxic. Or the more likely, they can't see how they poison us and they get hurt and angry about our new boundaries. Admitting to our own faults, our own demons, takes a tremendous amount of courage and honesty. Plus, Westerners learn to skip over courage and honesty and go straight to blaming and hating themselves. But the bulk of us shove our uglies under the rug until life really forces us to out ourselves. Make room for positive influences. None of us likes it when someone dumps us. We most often feel hurt and rejected. But the right of association is a basic human right. And we eventually come to accept that if someone doesn't want to be around us, they're within their rights. We learn that when someone tells us, I don't want to be your friend anymore, we have to accept it. Even as a child, we let friends go when they were holding us back from being the person we wanted to be or treated us badly. Life's too short. So it's okay to shift away from people whose behavior and values are damaging to your fledgling new self. Not only okay, but essential. It's much easier when you give yourself permission to associate with people 
because they support, empower, and inspire you. And let go of the guilt that you're being disloyal. Odds are, you were already loyal beyond reason with some of those you're now letting go. Insane loyalty. Slowly rebuild. There are friends who always make you feel small. Let them go. There are friends who influence you to behave in ways you no longer wish to behave. Are they keepers? There are people who never tire of picking you apart, who find it amusing to put you down, who you see regularly but never liked, or they never liked you. The deck of friends cards can take a really big shuffle when you're traumatized. And that's okay. Everything is going to be different in a life after narcissistic abuse. Your life came tumbling down around you. And now you get a choice about the bricks you pick up again to rebuild. Your world collapse is actually filled with the right potential for a new way of being. Starting with looking after yourself before you take on everybody else's shit. Thank you for listening.